a subject that to me is is very near and very dear, and it is just simply the the title of conflict resolution. Unfortunately, did you realize that sometimes Christians don't act very Christian? Am, am I the only one that's ever encountered Christians that act like heathens? If, you know, it's just part of life. Sometimes we forget that we're saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Spirit, and we act like ridiculous heathens. It's not just the children that do it. We love to pull, oh, look at those ridiculous heathen children. Oh, my goodness. You're just like them. You just grew up, and you got a little bigger filter than they do. They, don't, they sometimes don't know to stop words from coming out of their mouth. You know better. You just think them. But God knows your thoughts. Did you realize that? Yeah, he's reading your mail all day, every day. But uh, conflict resolution is something that in the world of the church, I hate to say, and this, I'm not just talking about Crown Point Church, I'm talking about Christians at large, and you know, I'm not necessarily, I don't have a doctor, doctorate in this subject, but I've, I've watched, I watched life, I'm kind of a student of life and of church and of people, been, a, been in this deal my whole life, and my observation is that Christians aren't a whole lot better at handling conflict a lot of times than non-Christians. And in fact, sometimes non-Christians are better because they just go have a drink and, and beat each other up and settle it and all is well and they just move on and, and move past it. But that's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about really getting through and dealing with something when there's a conflict between two believers. That's, that's a tough subject, isn't it? How many of you know someone that at one point or another has left a church or even left church, period, because of problems within a church community setting. Uh, that's something that really broke my heart and really, I feel like, called me into the ministry. Um, I am a pastor's kid and thought the last thing I'd do is be in the ministry, but as I began to work in the marketplace and, and be a part of our culture in a way that I hadn't experienced and saw things, I, I really began to develop a burden, and I, and I saw so many of the people that I knew and grew up with that grew up in church get disillusioned, get hurt, get burned, get get hurt in a church setting and say, you know what, if that's what church is all about, no thanks. I've got better things to do with my time. Uh, I think when I, when I first really realized how, how many people in our culture aren't a part of church is when I was moving up in the ranks and working for Quit Trip before I was a manager for them. I had to work all kinds of crazy hours and shifts and had to work Sunday morning shifts. And I was floored at how many people are just out and about doing their thing on Sunday morning. And it, you know, not that I'm being judgmental, but you could tell whether they're a part of church or not. You can tell there's, you know, they just drag themselves out of bed and they're there to get whatever. And that to me tells me that we've got a problem in the world of the church, that we aren't doing some things the way that we should. And a lot of times it's just like anything, when we can get off track as Christians, it's usually because we are influenced and led by our own gut and our own desires and and we've been influenced by the world rather than following God's guidebook. God's guidebook has a manual right there. It's got the way that we need to live life. It's got all of the solutions there for us. Uh, we're not immune to it, but it, living it out is something different than hearing it preached. Living it out is something different than just reading it once in a while. Living it out is different than knowing even. You can know all about something, but actually applying it and doing it is, is a whole different thing. But my question for you is, have you ever really been done wrong by somebody that knew better? Now, that, doesn't that seem to make it worse? Doesn't it seem to make it worse when somebody does you wrong and you're like, 
they should have known better. In fact, I know they know better. They're a Christian. They're a maps worker, for goodness sake. Now, Pat and Elaine Job has never done anything wrong in their life, but never happened, of course. Well, at least Elaine, so we know that. But, you know, he's a Sunday school teacher. He's a role ranger leader. He's a deacon. He's a pastor. He's the sound man. I mean, we all know Dave Kelly's perfect, too. Barbecue helps sanctify you, and he does it every Wednesday. But, you know, we, we a lot of times have this mindset that says, because they know better, I'm hurt deeper. We, we almost have a tendency to justify the grudge that we keep or the, you know, distance that we keep or the fact that we haven't dealt with the situation the way God outlines it in Scripture because, well, that person should have known better. That person never in a million years should have treated me that way. But God's Word doesn't wiggle. God's Word is pretty consistent with how it says it. And, and I, like, uh, I love to look at commentary and what it has to say, and I like what my Life Application Study Bible here talks about because as we're looking at this idea in Matthew chapter 18 is our, is our primary text, as we're looking at that, it, it is not the, the license to just go out and blast everybody and tell everybody what you think because there is a difference. How many of you know somebody that has no filter and that just everything they think blurts out of their mouth? They just Everything just comes right on out. That's not okay either. But there's a lot of times that conversations need to happen that didn't happen. I learned something early on in, in, in my work world that said if there's a conversation that you're avoiding, that's the one you need to have. If you're, if you're steering clear of a conversation in, that your, your mind's wrestling, your gut's wrestling about it, you're doing everything to avoid having it, that's the one you need to have. And I learned that early on from some, from some very wise people in, in, the, in the business world, and that's a biblical principle. They didn't know it, but it is. And so we're going to look at that tonight. And so it's not that, that when we go to seek reconciliation, we're looking at revenge, because our culture looks at getting back at people, at making amends for things, at, being, at getting justice. How many of you like justice? But the gospel that I read is, is, is different about justice. You know why? Because we put justice in God's hands then. And justice doesn't always happen in our time frame. So this isn't saying we need to take matters in our own hands. We need to take revenge. We need to, we need to get it all right. You know, our culture has a tendency to look at it that way, but let's look a little bit at what God's Word. Before we get to Matthew 18, I want to look at Matthew 5. It says, you've heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury, the eye for eye, tooth for the tooth. You know, and, and I know people that are rule sticklers, and man, they are, they are ready to point out an offense. Oh, yeah, you broke that. Oh, you messed it up. No, 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 no. I was raised by a woman. I love my mother, but my mom is a stickler for the rules. If you say you're going to do it, you better do it. If you do it, I mean, well, what's wrong with those people? How dare them? What's the matter with them? You know, she's ready to fix the world in one swipe swoop, and she'd spank them all probably if she could. Uh, but uh, she doesn't have license to. But, you know, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, you've heard the law. But listen to what Jesus says. I say to you, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. Now, this isn't saying be a doormat for somebody, but it's, it's a heart matter is what Jesus is talking about. If you're sued in court... And your shirt is taken from you. Give him your coat too. Wait a minute. Where's the justice in there, Jesus? They took my shirt. I deserve to get my shirt back. Wait a minute. And Jesus is saying it's the heart that matters. He says, give him your coat too. If a soldier demands you to carry his gear for a mile, carry it 
Two, give to those who ask. Don't turn away from those who want to borrow. So as we look at biblical conflict resolution, that's the first option. Will you all agree with me that that is a tough option? That's hard. There are times in your life where you do need to turn the other cheek. There are times in your life where you need to just say, you know what, God, I'm trusting you in this. But that's where you let the Holy Spirit discern in you. The same spirit that conquered the grave lives in us, guys. We can consult with the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, what do I need to do in this situation? Do I need to let this go? Do I just need to pray about it or do I need to deal with it? Well, if we finally get to the point where we're wrestling inside and we can't just turn the other cheek and let it go, if we've prayed about it, we've said, God, I, I forgive them. God, I'm letting this go. But every day it just gnaws at you. Well, the next option is what we're going to look at in Matthew 18 because if we finally exhaust option number one, which is simply let it go and give it to God. But if you're going to do that, let me warn you. Don't you say, I'm turning the other cheek, but then you remember it. Now, wives, now I'm picking on the wives, so the men can say amen here in just a second. Don't you go bringing up something your husband did 20 years ago and say, well, remember when you did that. If you forgave him, it's gone. You don't have to forget it. God forgives and forgets. Women don't ever forget. And the men said, yes, ouch is an, a, is a, is an amen. That's just part of life. That's part of the deal. But you do got to let it go. You do need to say, Mm-mm, not going to go there. If I've forgiven, if I'm moving past this, if I'm turning the other cheek, if I'm, if I'm saying, you asked me to carry it a mile, I'm going to carry it too, you better follow through with it. Because if you don't, you've got to do it the way the Word says to do it in Matthew 18. As we look at this text, I always like to dig through the text and look for words that really stand out to me. And as I look at verse 15, the word that really stands out to me is one. How many of you like to win? I, I like to win. I'd rather win than lose. When I play a game, I want to win. When I ride a skateboard, I want to win. I don't like it when the skateboard beats me and I hit the pavement. I, I, I'm still mad at that skateboard that I lost, and I'm glad that I'm not limping as bad as I was. I like to win. But here we look at the idea of winning in the standpoint of how does God keep score? Because you know how God keeps score? Souls. Souls that enter eternity with him as opposed to souls that enter eternity separated from him. We can get all worked up about our problems, our issues, our frustrations. And don't get me wrong, they're, they're, they're problems. They are frustrations. They are real. If they keep you up at night, if they bother you, yeah, that's a real deal. I'm not diminishing that what somebody did to you isn't wrong and that it is okay for that to have happened. However, when we put it into the perspective of souls, that changes the way we look at things. And so when we look at the idea of winning, let's look at the idea of the way that God looks at it. Verse 15 starts off, says, if your brother sins against you, this is talking about a fellow believer. This is talking about a man or a woman that is a believer that sinned against you, did something wrong that was an offense that you have taken. Go and show him his fault or her fault just between the two of you. You see, if we neglect Christ's instructions here, we are going in the same direction that the world does. We are following suit with what the pattern of this world. I love the, I love the description that's given to Satan as the prince of the power of the air. I like that 
because that describes very accurately what he is. It's, he has a, a control on the, the air. He has a control on, on the, the barometer, the DNA of our culture that he is constantly working on. And he wants to infiltrate our mindset and the church world and the church culture with the culture of this age, with the culture that is anti-God. But here we see that if, if, we, if we don't go to our brother or sister when there is a problem between us and them, we are, we are completely neglecting Christ's instructions here. It's not just a matter then at this point of choosing to do it our own way. It's, it's a matter of disobedience. It's a matter of us saying, God, you don't quite understand this situation as well as I do. You ever been there? I mean, surely I'm not the only heathen in the world that's ever questioned God's ability to see clearly my problem. I mean, God, really? Are you kidding me? Really? You, I, you, you're, this is what's happening? Hello? You see me here? Come on. You know, and, and that's, that's our mindset that rises up within us that uh, this, is a, this is an issue. But when we neglect God's instructions, well, wait a minute. It's not going to work. God, I can, I can tell you right before I even do it, it's not going to work. I was, I was a good manager for Quit Trip. I'm not, I guess I'm tooting my horn a little bit. Okay, is that all right? I don't work for him anymore. I have a watch that says I worked for him for 10 years. It was a hard blood, sweat, and tears watch. 10 years, and I got a beautiful watch. Uh, but um, I was a good manager for them for one primary reason. I did what they asked me to do. When something new came down from corporate, I, was, I, I became somebody that they would put on test committees and somebody that would be on resource groups because they knew they could count on me to, to run it through, to try it. I wouldn't say, that is not going to work. Did I think sometimes, that is not going to work? You betcha. Dozens of times I thought to myself, this is the stupidest idea they've ever had. But you know what I did? I ran it through. I did it just like they said to do it. And then after trying it the way that they said it didn't work, I'd show them data that said, we've tried it. This does not work. That, that goes a long way. We do the same thing with God. We see his instructions here that says, he says, go to your brother. You have an offense. Somebody wronged you. And instead of just going to them, you've gone to your wife, your best friend, the people that you're in Sunday school with, your ladies' life group, your whole life group, everybody that you talk to. Did you hear what they said to me? Well, and sometimes it isn't even like, you know, of course, we're really Christians, right? You get them being a little sarcastic. We're real good Christians. We, we don't just out and out gossip and talk about each other. We, we change the way we say, well, brother, I've got something I need you to pray about. I've really got this thing going on, and I, and I really need your prayers about how this guy's an idiot. It's basically what it boils down to when what we should have done is talk to God about it and talk to them about it. That's it. Nobody else in the circle. The more people that come in the circle, guess what happens? The more complicated it gets and the more multiplied the offense gets. Because if I tell you all tonight, man, Jeff Wilkie, he is a lousy, low-down, dirty, rotten scoundrel. And Charlotte would say, well, yeah, did you know what Jeff did to me? And Mary, Mary would say this. No, Mary would never say that about Jeff. 
But Frank would. Frank would be like, oh, yeah, Jeff, I could tell you some things about Jeff, too. Ron Kelly pipe up and say, oh, wait a minute, don't forget what he did to me. You see how it works? You see how offense then multiplies? And you see how you bring other people into the circle of your offense? And then their offense, they're picking up your offense, and then they're mad for you. Well, how dare Jeff be such a dirty, rotten, low-down scoundrel? Can you believe him? All the while, we've completely missed God. Yeah, maybe Jeff deserved to get yelled at and blasted and put on the spot. Jeff's my buddy, so I could, I could get away with this. He'll, he'll pour Tabasco in my breakfast tomorrow morning or something like that when I go to the bathroom, so he'll get back at me. But, you know, we, we, we justify it because, well, they really deserved it. Pastor, you, they really did me wrong. Pastor, they really should have known better than doing that. And besides... Don't you think that some of the other saints ought to know that this terrible person in our church is doing and saying these types of things? But all the while, we're missing God. Look at what it says. It says, as you look at the text as it continues, if he listens to you, you have won your brother over. You see, if we look at things from the standpoint of us winning the argument, Yeah, we may win the argument. We may have proved our point that they're a low-down, dirty, rotten scoundrel. But what happened to their soul? Now everybody in the church can't stand them. They may have been wrong. They may have flat-out done it. But now every other person that you've brought in your circle of offense is looking at them saying, Oh, you believe them. How welcome are they going to feel at church? How disillusioned are they going to become with Christians? about how they handle a problem, about how they deal with something. I like what James says. He says, my brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth, someone should bring him back. Remember, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. If we're in the winning business of winning souls, it's more important than our ego being hurt a little bit. It's more important than an offense that is real. Again, please don't think I'm diminishing things that you've been through because it's real. Hurts are, are real to us. People that have done us wrong, it's, it's a hard thing to swallow. But if we look at it in the big picture of souls, that person's a soul that Jesus died on the cross for. That person is a soul that matters to God, just like you do. And so if we look at it from that standpoint, we need to realize we want to win our brother and our sister back. We want to Do it in a way that is gracious, that is loving, that brings them back. A little bit later in the verse, or the passage, verse 21 and 22, and I'll read it for you in the message of chapter 18. It says, at this point, Peter got up the nerve to ask, Master, how many times do I forgive a brother or sister who hurts me? Seven? Peter's like, well, surely that's enough. Oh, we know the scripture. We've heard it. Jesus is like, nah, not seven. Try 70 times seven. And you could say, okay, so I get to count 490 times and then then I'm going to blast him. Jesus is being exaggerative. He's being rhetorical. He's just saying a ridiculous number, saying if somebody messes you over 490 times for the same thing, just keep on forgiving them. And you're like, wait a minute, Jesus. But they messed me over 490 times. And he's like, yeah, I know. And they matter to God. They matter to me just like you do. So we've got to be careful with how we take the first step in offense because I'm sorry to burst your bubble if you're 
brand new to the faith in Christianity and you have the assumption that all Christians are glorious and wonderful and basically have halos and fly on the way to and from church, I'm going to burst your bubble and let you know that they're not all perfect. They're imperfect people serving a perfect Savior. And you're going to have problems at one point or another the more you hang around people. Church is full of something interesting and something wonderful. It's called people. And where people are, there will be problems. There will be conflict. But the principle I want you to take away from that verse is that tough conversations with an agenda besides reconciliation cause conflict rather than reconciliation. If our, if our goal is to reconcile the relationship that is severed, we look at things completely different than being right. I like to be right. You like to be right? Husbands, here's some great advice for you. Being right is overrated. Happy wife, happy life is a good thing when you're a husband, and it's a good thing as a Christian to realize, you know what? Sometimes it's not as important to be right as it is to reconcile, as to go to someone that had a problem and deal with it right. It's hard, though. Sometimes you may think to yourself, well, I'm just going to let it go. I'm, I'm just going to pray about it. I'm going to ignore about it. I'm not, I'm not going to stew over it. But our tendency then becomes, as we stew, as we get frustrated, we start talking to somebody about it. And then that person broadens the circle of, of the offense, and we think that we've turned the other cheek. All the while, we've disobeyed Jesus, and we haven't gone about it right. Next word I want you to pull out as we look at verse 16 is witnesses. Witnesses. We, uh, we live in a world of TV court shows and of people being right, people being wrong. Um, oh my gosh, every once in a while I'll be at a point where I can see TV during the day and I see those shows like Jerry Springer and stuff where people are bringing somebody on TV to basically flush out the truth and it's like, oh my Lord, this is ridiculous. I mean, but this is the way a big portion of our world thinks that it's supposed to happen. You just tattletale on everybody. Well, maybe you don't do it on Jerry Springer, but, oh, maybe you've made a Facebook post that said, can you believe what so-and-so did? Or, or maybe, you're the, maybe you're the real nice, you know, passive-aggressive Facebook poster, and you say, can you believe what some people do? And everybody's like, I know who some people is. They're talking about, mm-hmm, yep, and they're filling the gaps. They're ding, 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 ding. We're, we're all pretty good investigative reporters who can pick up on your subtle uh, blasts. But um, as, we, as we think about the idea of being right, as we think about the idea of witnesses, a lot of times we want witnesses so that they validate our cause, so that they validate our, our deal. You see, a lot of times what happens in dealing with offense is we jump right to step two. First off, Frank did me wrong. All right, Deb, you're on my corner. Okay, Brett, you're on my corner. Harold, you three, here, let me tell you all what Frank did. And then I'm ready to say, now, Frank, listen here. Me and my three posses, we know all about you and your wicked ways, and we're going to straighten you out. We like to jump right to step two because we want witnesses. Now, Aaron Woods, he needs witnesses for what he has to do for a living. 
But we're not talking about that. We're talking about conflict resolution between two believers. And again, I I don't want to diminish what we go through as problems, but I I do want to change our focus to where we're not so focused on us. We're, We're focused on the kingdom. We're focused on what it does to shed a light to the world around us on believers. Because whether you know it or not, your life is a walking, talking billboard for what you stand for. Your life is representing something to somebody. They, they know what you say you believe. Eh, yeah, I know they're a Christian. Mm-hmm. Nice behavior there. Nice Facebook post. Nice bumper sticker. I see how you act. I see how you behave. They're watching. But we want to jump and grab the witnesses and jump straight to step two. But step two requires that we did step one right. Step one means... We've humbled ourselves. We've prayed. We've talked to God about it. God, give me the right approach. God, I pray that you soften their heart. Help me to go and win them. Help me to go with, with a heart of love and a heart of humility to reconcile this situation. And if that doesn't work, which sometimes it won't, you know, remember earlier I said we tell God it's not going to work? God knows that sometimes. God knows that sometimes you're going to do the right thing and people are going to slap you right back in the face. Just because you do the right thing, does it mean everybody's always going to do the right thing back? No. I teach this lesson a lot to, to kids because in, in a lot of ways our culture shapes and, and teaches our kids that everything's supposed to be fair and everybody's supposed to be the champion and everybody's supposed to be a winner. That's not life. That's not reality. Reality is that sometimes good people have bad things happen to them because bad people make a bad choice and slap it right back in the good person's face. But here we see that we've done it right the first step, and still someone slapped us back in the face, then we go in love and in humility and in, disc- in, in discretion. We say, Frank, here's the deal, man. I've got this problem, and I've, I've gone to them. I've talked to them about it. Deb, you know, can, can you guys counsel me? Can you pray with me about this? I'm wanting you to pray with me that, that there's reconciliation in this. I'm, please don't tell anybody else. Please don't include anybody else in this situation. Will you, will you pray with me, and then will you go with me to talk to our friend? And it needs to be somebody that knows them so that they all go with a heart of love, with a heart of reconciliation. Now, does that seem threatening? It might. But if the attitude's right, how many of you have ever been talked off the ledge by a good friend? I think we all probably have. We've all probably been in a bad way at one point or another in a thought process that was taking us the wrong way, and somebody smacked us upside the head and said, wait a minute, you're not thinking straight. And you're like, thank you, thank you. That's what the reconciliation process is. That's where friends come around, friends, and say, you know what? We love you. We are not trying to just be right in this situation, but this is a problem. And before it gets bigger, before the circle of, of, of dysfunction And before the circle of problem just continues to escalate and we bring more and more people into the mix, let's settle this between the two or three of us. Let's pray about it. Let's let's work through this. And you know what? A lot of times in this setting, a problem is going to be taken care of because they're going to see true humility. I have literally been in in a situation with two people before multiple times to where it was just like you could see the anger between the two of them like a mountain between them. Have you ever experienced a situation like that where you, it's like you can feel 
the anger and the rage in a person towards another person because they're, they've been hurt so bad. They've been wronged so many times. They're, the, dis, the trust is out the window. There's just nothing. I've seen it literally melt with the little phrase, I'm sorry, I love you. It's like, you talk about a mountain being cast into the sea. Wow, I've seen it. You know, I've never seen, I've never, you know, I used to read that scripture that says you can pick up a mountain with your pinky and throw it into the sea. And I'm like, that's awesome. Hercules has got nothing on me. But you know what? It may not look like a mountain, but I've seen a mountain of hate. I've seen a mountain of a dysfunctional life and problem just melt like wax because the presence of God was invited in that situation. Love entered the situation. Forgiveness entered the situation. Whoosh. It's incredible when that happens. But again, when we go about this wrong, rather than it going in the direction of souls being one, rather than when it goes in the direction of witnesses being there to reconcile, witnesses being there to, to, to talk people off the ledge, we want to be right, we want to win, that's where it goes wrong. And that's where dysfunction continues to spiral. I like what Galatians chapter 6 says. This, this passage this verse piggybacks extremely well from this passage. It says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Do you see my emphasis there? You who are spiritual. We all like to think of ourselves as pretty good, decent Christians. Our spirituality, though, is tested in a situation of conflict, in a, te- in a situation of offense. That's where the rubber really meets the road. The people in my life that I have watched and witnessed that I admire the most in the Christian world are not the Joel Osteens of the world, not the Stephen Furtick's of the world, not the Pastor Dennis Luces of the world, not, you know, somebody rich and famous and amazing. The people that I admire the most are people that I've seen quietly model being a big person. Not a big person, but being bigger than getting offended. I've seen that so many times. People that are like, you know what? I, I, I've i been corrected a numer- number of times in my life by people that said, you know what? We really shouldn't be talking bad about them. We really shouldn't be. I'm like, whoa, ouch, ouch, cut to the heart, ouch. You know, and it's not like a whap you upside the head. It's like a loving, gentle, ooh, yeah, you're right. Ooh, that hurt. Man, I admire that about people that no matter what are not going to talk bad about someone, are not going to entertain gossip, are not going to jump in and jump on the bandwagon of hate. Man, that, 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 that's something I admire about a Christian, about someone. I've seen it a lot in senior saints, and I've seen it in, in people that aren't necessarily as old, but man, that, that's an admirable quality. It says, you who are spiritual, restore him gently. Yeah, now, get it. This is, this is tying all together because, again, it goes back to step one. If we do step one right, restore them gently, not Hey, let's, let's publicize this for the whole world to see. Let's post it on Facebook. Let's put it on Twitter, hashtag, hashtag they are a jerk, and you all should know it. You know, it's, it's about 
not justice. It's about restoring them. It's about doing it right way. It's about winning them back, drawing them back for the kingdom's sake, for their soul's sake, and for the souls that they're going to impact. You see, the other thing that uh, we were at a minister's conference the last two days, and one of the quotes that I'm sure you've heard many times before, I'd heard it before, but it really sunk in this time, is, you know, we can count how many seeds are in an apple, but only God knows how many apples are in a seed. How many souls are impacted by us not handling conflict right? You know? What if the person that we had a, a problem with, we handle it wrong, they get burned out, they get turned off, they run away from God, they're like, forget it. What if God had chosen them since before time to be the kids pastor at Crown Point Church and over the course of 30 years, thousands of kids were going to get saved under their ministry? Wow. Eternity will reveal that. We'll stand before God and weep. I really believe that that scripture that says Jesus will wipe every tear from our eye, I believe our last tear will be when we see what our life could have been and wasn't. When we stand before God and we're like, oh, my goodness, wow. Wow, all of those times when I was more caught up in myself, more caught up in my own wants, my own desires, my own needs, rather than the kingdoms. That's where it went wrong. The principle that I want you to pull away from, from this Verse 16 is, a, is an important one. Bringing others into our fence will complicate the issue. Proceed with prayer. When we are going to deal with a fence, when we're going to deal with a conflict with another believer, it should always be bathed in prayer. It should always be with, with a great level of humility to say, God, help me deal with this situation right. I don't know about you, but I like, I like things to be consistent I like it when something works, you do it the same way. I'm kind of a precise person. It drives my wife crazy. I'm just, I'm, I'm a very precise person. I like things to be a certain way. And I think that in a certain sense, all of us are that way. We like cookie cutter. We like, okay, this is how it works. I know. I don't have to think about it. I can do it the same way every time. You know, we, if, if Pat and Elaine go to hook up water at a place, they want you turn on a cold water spigot, you get cold. You turn on a hot water spigot, you get hot. How many of you ever been to somebody's house and they have a trick faucet where it's backwards? Yeah, that's just part of life. And so a lot of times we wanted everything to be just normal, just fine, the same every time. When we're sensitive and led by the Spirit, He's going to take us in a zigzag direction that says, you know what, it worked this time, but now I'm going to take you over here and you're going to try it this way. You know, we need to proceed with prayer because the Holy Spirit's going to prompt us and take us to say, you know what, maybe don't do that. Maybe back off. There was one time in my life that there was a, a really clear problem that had cropped up um, that I was aware of that was, I, I was offended at, at a situation with another believer. And the situation didn't directly as much affect me as it was between the two of them, but it became aware to me, not because anybody told me, but because I observed it. Um, I wanted to talk to them about it. I learned this lesson that I'm teaching you tonight a long time ago, so I've, I've been practicing it for a long time, and I wanted to deal with it. I was like, this is something that needs to be talked about. This is a conversation that needs to happen. But every time I felt like I was ready to proceed, it was, eh. I get a gut check. The Holy Spirit say, mm -mm, not yet. You know how long that gut check lasted? Almost four years. Didn't stop praying for it for four years. Didn't stop believing that there was a reconciliation that needed to happen. 
finally, at the most unopportune time, the door opened. And I'd bathe that situation in prayer. Four years of prayer went into that conversation. I didn't have mapped out what I was going to say, but the words just came out. The Holy Spirit prompted me and led me to say words of peace, words of reconciliation, words of comfort, words of healing to the situation. And I saw that mountain melt. And I saw somebody that had pent up hate and rage. I saw it melt. I was so thankful I waited. But too many times we jump ahead of God. The last word that that I want you to pull away is would. Would. What would and could happen? You ever said woulda, coulda, shoulda? What if? And those what ifs sometimes keep me up at night. You know what I've learned to do about what ifs? I've learned to pray about them. A lot of times we just think, well, it's done. Spilled milk. God created the world out of nothing, ladies and gentlemen. Are you aware of that? He spoke the world into existence out of nothing. He can still do that. He can still redeem a situation in my life and in your life and in anybody else's life. It may You may have boogered it up good, but there is no mess that you can make that God can't fix. It may not look just like you think it should look. It may not happen in the timing you think it should happen. It may not pan out the way that you think it's all supposed to go, but there is nothing you can mess up that he can't redeem and he can't fix. Verse 17 ends this passage. It says, if this believer refuses to listen to them, this is the group of witnesses that you assembled carefully with love and with a heart of reconciliation, and they reject that, Jesus' instructions are clear, tell it to the church. Now, a lot of times we think, all right, finally, I can broadcast it for the world to see. Crown Point Church has a Facebook page, and here we go. Frank Hinkle is a dirty, rotten, lousy scoundrel, and you should never listen to any words he has to say. No, that's not what it's talking about. Tell it to the church means you go to the leaders of the church. You go to the pastor. You go to the board. You go to the spiritual leaders of your church, and you say, this is what's going on in this situation. Please pray with me about this. Please. I've already gone through the biblical process of going to them. They've slapped me back in the face. I've gone through the process of bringing a couple people with me in love and in humility and in grace, and it didn't work. Pastor, deacons, here's the situation. Pray with me about this. Help, help me to restore our fallen brother. Because at this point, the text makes it very clear that they've lost sight of what is true. Because it says, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now, that doesn't mean saying, well, write them off. Goodbye. See you later. You know what treat them like a pagan, treat them like a tax collector means? Treat them like somebody who doesn't know better. Because you know what pagan and tax collector meant to the early church in the time of Jesus? People that didn't know better. People that weren't in the club. People that didn't know the secret handshake. People that, that weren't a part of the family of God. That didn't know better. He said, they have slipped. They have gone down the wrong road. They are, they, are, they are acting like they don't know better because they don't anymore. They've bought right back in hook, line, and sinker to what the prince of the power of the air has taught them. If he refuses to listen to, to you, if he refuses to listen to the, the witnesses that you bring to them, if, if he refuses to listen when the pastor and the leaders of the church go to them in love and in humility and grace, he says, that's when you've got to say, I've got to realize I'm dealing with somebody that has lost all perspective. And a lot of times we don't want to just write them off. We want to say, done with you. 
you know what God wants us to do at that point? He wants us to love them. He wants us to pray for them. But he wants us to recognize and realize we can't expect the same things from them that we did before. If somebody falls off the wagon, we do need to forgive them. But how many of you know that trust has to be earned? You realize that? I've searched the scriptures high and low that says, the scriptures definitely say somebody wrongs you, you got to forgive them, period. But it doesn't say you got to trust them again. They've got to earn that trust back. And that's what this is simply saying. Before you put them again in a leadership capacity, before you just let them come in the church and and have an influence, you've got to realize you're dealing with somebody that's got to be mentored, that's got to be loved, that's got to be reconciled to Jesus again before you move forward. And it says, if he refuses to listen, even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or tax collector. I like what the fire Bible says about this. It says, like one who is not part of God's kingdom, because they've refused Christ's mercy and broken their relationship with him. This does not mean that people should treat the offender with cruelty, but the person should be denied, be denied the right to be in leadership. And so we've got to realize that when we're dealing with somebody in this situation, we treat them as we would someone that doesn't know better. The message says, if he won't listen to the church, you'll have to start over from scratch. Confront him with the need for repentance and offer again God's forgiving love. But that same question that Peter asks just a verse or two later, we, we like to remind God of, but wait a minute, God. They've done me wrong before. How many times should I let this go on, God? Jesus answers it for us. You keep forgiving. You keep loving. You keep doing the right thing. Have you, have you all figured out with me that you can't really change another person? You can try, and maybe for a little while you might get the results you want, but eventually that doesn't work out so well. People have a free will, and they're going to shake that loose and do what they want to do. God doesn't force his will on any of us, just like we shouldn't force God's will on someone. They've got to come in their own time, and we've got to pray them through it. We've got to be careful about how we deal with things. The principle that you need to take away from that is that resolution isn't always quick or painless, but it is necessary. Matthew chapter 6 verse 15 is a is a tough verse to swallow but it's a real one. When we are offended, when we are hurt, when we are wounded as Christians, whether it's by another believer or by someone outside of the faith, we got to forgive. But I deserve justice. You're probably right. And God'll take care of that eventually but you've got to trust his timing. He says, but if you don't forgive men their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. So let me break that down for you in simple terms. Holding grudges is not okay. Someone did you wrong, you got to deal with it. You may have convinced yourself that you're turning the other cheek. Maybe you've, there may be some of you that this talk tonight has brought up some some wounds, some old stuff, maybe some stuff that even happened decades ago. And as you think about that, you're like, oh, mm. I thought I turned the other cheek on that, but that still stings. I don't, I don't, I can't tell you 
What do you need to do about that? Exactly. But do you know who can? God can. God knows what the right solution for you is. Some of you need to pray, God, I know I should forgive that person, and, but I just don't want to. You ever been there? I've been there. I've, I've known, man, I want to forgive that person, but right now, God, you're going to have to help me want to want to because I don't even want to. I know I should. I know it's the right thing to do, but I, I, I need to want to want to forgive them first. So that's the first step prayer. God, help me want to want to forgive them. That'll catch up with you in a second if, you, if, you're, if I've lost you. And then eventually he'll help you want to forgive them. And then eventually you will forgive them. And sometimes you do. Let it go. Turn the other cheek. But if that's the case, you better drop it. But if you're not going to drop it, if it still gnaws at you, you just still feel like the Holy Spirit is impressing you to deal with it. Because did you ever think that maybe the reason the Holy Spirit is gnawing at you about this isn't because of you? Maybe it's for them. You ever think about that? Have you ever experienced that sometimes it's not just about you? <laughs> oh, wow. Really? Yeah. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will prompt you because you are the one that he chose to confront them with what he wants them to see. He wants their eyes to be open. He's going to use you as a vessel to do it. I don't know what your situations are, but God does. Would you bow your heads with me? This, is, this isn't a, a, a light subject. This is a, a tough subject. It's a heavy subject, but it's a subject that is so necessary. And it's a subject that I believe God has started some amazing things in your hearts and in your lives tonight and that we're going to begin the process of healing and of reconciliation. My challenge for you is just simply this. I want you to pray. I want you to pray about how God wants to use you and the timing that he wants to use you to walk a path of reconciliation for whatever offense has happened in your lives. So as you think about those things, Maybe you're at that stage where you know you should be forgiving people, but you don't even want to. God, I pray right now if there are those here tonight that are, that are so hurt by something that, that they can't even conceive forgiving someone. God, I pray that they want to forgive them. Lord, I pray that that becomes their prayer, that they want to want to. God, I pray, Lord, for those that are here and they've, they've tried to let something go. And every time the thought comes back into their mind, the emotions are right back there. And they get right back to that place of anger, that place of rage. God, I pray right now that you just speak into their heart and their life peace. Peace that passes all understanding. God, I pray that you begin to give us a burden, Lord, for those that have hurt us, those that have wounded us, those that have offended us. God, I pray that you help us to truly walk out what you tell us to bless those who curse you. Oh, Lord, that is hard. But I thank you that you can help us with that. I thank you that no mountain is too big. If you're here tonight and you just simply want to recognize with a hand lifted up that you want God's help in some way, shape, or form with this issue of offense, would you just lift up your hand? It's not to say it to me. It's to say, God... I need, I need your help with this. God, I need, I need something to break in a situation. I see your hands all over, all over. God, I pray right now for each and every one of these, God, that are here, 
And Lord, you know the severity of the situation. You know the length of the situation. You know everything about it. And God, you know that in many, many ways, we're justified to be upset, to be angry. But your word's clear on this, that we've got to forgive and that we've got to deal with it the right way. God, I pray, Lord, that you just give Holy Spirit creativity to us in how to deal with this. God, some of us do need to just simply give it to you and turn the other cheek. But Lord, in other situations, you are gnawing at us because you want reconciliation in the situation. You want the other believer's eyes to be open. God, I pray, Lord, for grace, Lord, for humility. God, I pray, Lord, that a tender heart would be in every one of these situations, Lord, as they move forward. Lord, I pray that it will be bathed in prayer and that they will wait on your timing to deal with the situations. Lord, I pray, Lord, that mountains move and melt because of our prayers tonight, Lord. This isn't a a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal sermon, but God, I thank you that mountains are shaking right now because strongholds that the enemy has kept for a long time are beginning to crumble, are beginning to crack because forgiveness is happening. Lord, because hearts are being softened. And Lord, because we're forgiving people and we're praying that you open doors for reconciliation. God, I thank you, Lord, for tonight, Lord. I pray that you just be with us. Give us a great rest of the week. Lord, I pray that you give us all safe travel home. Lord, I thank you for all the students, again, that were here tonight. God, I just pray that you bring us all back safely Sunday for a great celebration, Lord, of of your love for us. In Jesus' name, everyone said Amen. amen. God bless you guys. Have an awesome rest of the week. Give someone a hug and a handshake and say, God loves you and so do I.